Oh, wait, there we go. Okay, we're both saying this is definitely <laughs> a non standard shear, but I want to uh, explain something. Yeah, it, it's an interesting point, in my humble opinion. Uh, it's always like this we have a, a, there's a whole Torah about what Minhagim are, um, how they work. There's a, we show them say different things, it has to do with the prior Psach Halacha. Uh, some people explain it has to do with Nadarim. With why a minhag has its rule, both people point to the pasuk al titosh taras imecha. In any case, we see different examples throughout the Gemara of minhagim and the importance of keeping minhagim. I want to explain it in terms of another um, point of view. Uh, uh, it's this: for example, the Gemara about mitzia. It says the Gemara says. Uh, let's pay A person shouldn't change from the minag. Moshe went up to the heavens. He didn't eat bread. The Machasharis came below and they ate bread. Okay, the Gemara obviously they made themselves look like they ate bread. They didn't actually eat bread, but they don't change the minag. Uh, and that's one. Uh, uh, that's one point. And in general, you, when you come to a place where they did it, when they do it differently, for example, in Psachim it says, you know, people, they, when they do Malacha, uh, when they have Minagas to do, they do, and the Minagas not, not, you don't make a mess of the Minag. If you went to, uh, you're not allowed. To, you're not, and you're not allowed to. What's the word? To upset the minhag in, in, in a different place. We see that here. We see. Okay, we see a bunch of examples of that. You're not allowed to upset the point. So this type of um, not changing the minhag has to do with uh, uh, other people's uh, behavior, or even with your. As I've tried to explain, even with your behavior, that's one. And the second. A type that we see is uh, you have a tradition, for example, the the, the tradition of uh, B'nai Baishan, for example. B'nai Baishan, uh, we know that the B'nai Baishan, their custom was that they didn't go uh, from Tzor to Tzidim, which wasn't far, which was not far. Uh, Uh, on Erev Shabbos. They're, so they're machmen themselves. Atu Benayu and Kamedu Yochan, their kids came. The kids said, look, we can't handle this. It was too hard for us. We need to do business. It's not a long trip. It's not a problem. They came in front of Yochan. Amrulay said, Avasit Our fathers were able to do this. Adan lo Shalom. We can't. Amarulay said to them, Kvarkiblu Avaseichem Aleichem. Your father's already accepted upon you. She never says, Shema b'ni musavicha v'al titosh toras imecha. So you're not allowed to uh, change the minag of your fathers. Uh, so we see that you have minagim, that's one that's about people. Uh, it's, as we'll see, between one person and another, we'll see. Uh, and we have a second type, okay, we have a second type is uh, where has to do with uh, the fulfillment 
uh, of a mitzvah or stopping to, not doing the wrong thing, etc. We have to keep it, and it's it's it which seems to have more which seems to have more of a uh, halachic uh, strength. It's, it seems to be so it has more halachic has to do with the minagim, like whether we already paskin this way or whatever we're going to say. But I want to point out something which I think is extremely important. I tell you, this is not a regular, not your average shear, but this is what I think. And that is that minag is of extreme importance. Minag also has to do with, you could use the word tradition, it's not exactly the same. I understand with such things as the Masorah, handing down things. But minag is a context that I personally think is extremely important. And I'll explain you some of the things uh, that I mean. If you take a look, you know, Baruch Hashem, uh, there's a great phenomenon in this last, uh, last uh, 40, 50 years that people who uh, grew up non-observant became observant. Baruch Hashem, and every person that did is a hero. There's nothing to talk about. But one of the things you see that when a person doesn't have, didn't grow up uh, fulfilling the mitzvahs, they really, there's always a certain awkwardness because they, they lack the context. Not always, but up to a point, there's a certain awkwardness. They lack the context of having performed these things. It's a... Uh, Fits a little funny. It's a little uh, not exactly not exactly in sync. What's interesting is that you see when a child grows up in an observant home, you notice they learn they they learn the traditions of Judaism before they can even speak and before they have any idea of what they're doing or what the meaning is. And what I mean, say for example, take a look. Just look at a simple havdalah on a Saturday night. So the 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 baby's there on the lap of the uh, the lap of the parent. And you can see the, you know, you can see the glow of the baby's eyes for the excitement of the baby, and also you literally, you know, you can see the, the light of the adult candle reflected in the eyes of the kid. The kid is wrapped with attention on everything. They pass around the, they pass around the uh, spices. The kid wants to go. Oh, kid also wants to smell. Now the kid has no idea. What what we're even doing? Why we're doing it? That we're we're making up we're making a bracha. The neshamani say we're left. We're uh, we're being mavdo ben kodesh l'chol. All I want, but the kid is already learning in context week after week after week. They know all about Abdullah. They know how it's done. They don't have to sit there and read, well, the Abdullah service you know requires the candle requires this. The the, the, the kids saw fifty billion times. So the power of the the power of the repeated ceremony. It is tremendously, tremendously strong. And the kids start in the middle, like I used to mention. I think I told you, I used to tease the kids. Uh, a baby was unborn, the mother's pregnant. So I used to say to the children, Oh, I can't say to, I can't wait to find out what language the kid's going to speak. One of them speak the same language we speak. Wow, I can't believe it. All my kids grew up, you know, speaking Hebrew. All my kids grew up speaking English. I can't believe it. Well, I can't believe it. How did, how did Hashem know he put the right kid in the right house? Is to tease them. The answer is, of course, that kids learn language in the home without even thinking about it, and it's, and it's not anything like the way we teach an adult language. An adult, you know, you're going to teach them about grammar and syntax and all these things. No kid learns no, no kid learns a language by learning grammar and syntax. The kid is immersed from the second that they can hear, they hear the sounds of the language and the cadences of the language, the rhythms. Usually children that start to imitate the music of the language. Ah, da, 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 da. The kids imitate the sound of the language even before they imitate sound, you know, the... The actual uh, phonemes, and then they do, you know. But the, the kid knows. So the kid knows all about Abdullah. hasn't got a clue what it's for, but the kid knows all about what it is. They're 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 involved. The kiddish and Abdullah and uh, and a million other things that we that we do. The kid knows about washing hands before the meal, and so it's a powerful context for passing on, uh, for passing on, uh, Judaism. 
And you realize that when, when a person, for example, and that's why I believe why it's such a terrible thing, why you don't shake up other people's minhagim. It's not your job to do that. People behave a certain way. You're not here to throw a monkey wrench into it and to, and to, and to shake it up. Why? Because that's a powerful context for people continuing to do the mitzvahs, learning the mitzvahs. Here, imagine, imagine let's say, just give an example. Let's say you had a certain mitzvah that uh, there were a number of opinions and you have a, and really, let's say minhagim. They're not minhagim. You can do it this way, you can do it that way. Let's, let's say for the moment that they're legitimate. Let's say you have five or six legitimate ways. You know, but if each week you would do Havdal according to a different minhag, your kid is not going to know what's going on. You understand? One week this way, that way. They don't get the understanding. And I'll tell you the truth, you know, I, I, I don't know if I ever spoke to you about this. When I came to Israel, you know, the biggest losers in Israel are always Americans. Americans were totally unsuccessful in Israel when I came. Really, the biggest losers you could find. Uh, for a lot of reasons, you understand. One, first of all, a lot of, a lot of people were just uh, were people who were unsuccessful in America. They figured, oh, if I go to Israel, oh, there's only one of me. They'll need me, you know. Oh, I speak English. They don't have that, you know. <laughs> people have all kinds of... Uh, uh, you know, silly or immature ideas. So many, many people who just here who weren't well came. But also, the truth is that Americans were devastated when they came to Israel because Israel, uh, at least when I came, Israel was a completely and totally political place. Everything is about politics. Even we spoke, religion wasn't religion. Religion was politics. Everything was politics in Israel. So anybody who didn't understand the system, and Americans were not like that. Americans didn't define themselves politically. They got to Israel, they were lost. They were, they, were, they were like homeless or stateless people. They didn't know who they were. They didn't, they didn't get anything done. Israel, you couldn't do anything without a group, you know, a group and a party and a thing. It's all, uh, you know, it was all, that's the way the country was built. You know, so the Americans were totally, totally lost in every way, and religiously also. They just didn't have it. They, uh, Israel didn't have it. In America, you have congregations, you know, and even a person who's not particularly dedicated uh, still has a context, you know, they have a shul, they have a thing, there's something around. The Americans got this, but they didn't know what hit them, you know, even the, even the neighborhood synagogues, you know, where the rabbis were government appointed and government funded. It was, uh, they didn't know, they didn't know what to do with themselves. And I spent a long time, you know, just getting Americans to join anything. Just, I begged them, join anything. Here, go, 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 go to yeshiva or go to this place, be part of something in order for them to be able to put themselves together and their children, because the American homes were like, the, were like just a disaster. The parents, the kids, everybody. But I want to point out that, and I want to point out that Minog is, is a thing like that. Minog gives a person a repeated context in which, to, in which, to, in which Torah can flourish. Instead, we come back every week and do it this way. We have, a, we have a context and we're affected. And that's why we should not be upsetting other people's minogim. When you go to a place, you have all them, you don't know, do it. It's not your job to be pulling out the rug uh, from people's feet. Now, I know you're going to be surprised. What do you mean? What about the individual and determination? The answer is that that's not what that's about. Uh, I brought a few times to Malbim, I have to find where they are. I haven't seen it recently, but the Malbim talks about uh, the counting of the Jewish people. So he says essentially we were counted twice. Once you were counted by number, you know, the coin. And once you got counted, everybody called, everybody got, everybody, got, everybody got counted by name. And he quotes the Pasuk, So what's the point? Really, a person has both qualities. When I was growing up, it was really 
Uh, I don't know, computer, really computers were beginning when I was a kid. They didn't have, we were, they were far from personal computers, but computing, I mean, they had this, you know, do not bind or do not spin, fold or spindle. There were computer cards already every place and uh, they were punch cards, you know. And um, uh, people were already terrified of computers and having a number. All of a sudden, everybody used to have a name now people were reduced, uh, were reduced to a number. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if it exists anymore. One of the things that Americans are always amazed by, for example, you'll find in England and maybe other places in England, maybe Scotland, Ireland, a person's address, the, the house will have a name. You know, the Winwoods, the the uh, the Baron, the the Baron something. Yeah, the people's the people's home address was the name of a home. The home had a name, rather than a number, rather than a number. On a street, it's like shocking. So people were people who had been used to everybody's an individual and has a name, etc. All of a sudden, in America, people were getting you were a number, and people were were rebelling very strongly. And a lot of the, uh, I believe, a lot of the revolution uh, in the world at the end of the '60s, which was social and sexual and uh, political, was uh, a very strong reaction to an over. Uh, um, you know, an over, what seemed to the world to be an overwhelming uh, numbering uh, of everyone and, and, and a new destruction of the individual. People went crazy and therefore they had a revolution that overemphasized, I mean, to be brought to the point of the ridiculous, you know, the individual. But now, so the answer is that really both things have value. The individual has value and a name, but, but, and a name. but also what the, we'll see that a no name also has value. So the Malbum explained, you know, there are certain places where every, every single person has a unique uh, job in this world. And that's a name, but also the person, there's also places where a person is really just a number. You're just really part of, you're really part of the clown. And I always tease you because you see, but sometimes it would be terrible if every component would stand up and take a bow. Uh, a lot of wonderful things would be destroyed, like the ocean. You, the ocean uh, communicates such, such grandeur, such power, you know, such an incredible power of the ocean. It's something indescribable, actually. You know, that we see this vast ocean and the power, the powerful wave. And I always used to tease, imagine if at one point you come and you're about to see the powerful ocean. Instead, every single drop is like one of like these people who go to these conventions, you know, and everybody's got a little name tag. Hi, I'm Susie. Hi, this is George. Hi, John here. Hi, uh, Phyllis. You know, and imagine if every drop of the ocean, instead of seeing the mighty ocean, we say each drop says, "Hi, Timothy here. Hello, Susan here." Yes, so the whole oh, the, the, this wonderful, incredible entity of the powerful ocean suddenly destroyed by each individual drop asserting its identity, and it become it would become a ludicrous and silly and hysterical mockery of what it means to be a powerful um, ocean. So there's really a value uh, in both. I think I, I, I'm sure that, I'm pretty sure that I, I did in this context. I spoke one time, one of the most beautiful things. If you remember years ago, um, years ago, the 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 uh, decided, felt that the, the Israeli secular court was going, you know, really beyond all limits in, in its uh, activist and destructive uh, Rulings, and you know, that were destroying Torahs, all kinds of things. So they called a big meeting to say to him and to Davin in the streets of Yushalayim. And I can't remember, the numbers were gigantic. It was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. I've never, I, I think maybe a large crowd I was ever in. 
But anyway, I remember being in the streets. Of course, they, they and and the, the Israeli media were you know were expecting a riot. And they you know the religious Jews were going to go on a rampage, which never happened. It was the most peaceful and beautiful uh, gathering. But I remember one of the things I remember, uh, you know, being part of the crowd, and I never felt anything like it. And all I was was like I was like a drop in the ocean. I remember I was just here one more, one more nameless entity, but. To make a crowd like that's what you need, you know, saying that, uh, uh, that kind of power comes from a lot of people just being one more body and not being necessarily individual. There's a tremendous, uh, great job to be done to just being one of the, one more, one, one extra, to be an extra, cast of thousands, you're just an extra, that's part of what you are. On the other hand, there's a time where a person has a unique job. But how do you balance those two? What does it mean? Uh, yeah, we see we have all the places where the Torah wants a person to be modest and the person the Torah wants a person to be uh, to be humble. So anyway, we're never we're never trying to really stand out. So when is the power? What is that power of shame? You understand of a unique entity. And in my humble opinion, that is there not for the sake of the not for the sake of the self expression of the individual but rather of the individual taking advantage of whatever unique quality Hashem created them with. Yeah, I just was, uh, I just before this class, I should, you know, try at least to, to uh, find out the official definition. You see, when a person is very flexible, they call them double-jointed. So when I was little, I thought that that was a literal, something literal, they had two joints or something, you know, they were able to be so flexible. I think that's false. I think it's just a, uh, a metaphor, just the way when people refer to people who are very flexible as double-jointed or very agile. But apparently what it is, is just there's uh, people have a lot of, I think, uh, I'll be out to people who know, uh, doctors, etc. But what I, what I just looked up, it's, they said it's, it really just means that there's a lot of cartilage and the person is extremely flexible with a joint, you know, stand that would have less, they have much more. Okay, good. But the point is like this, when a, let's say a person is uh, here double-jointed, they're extreme, they're flexible in the extreme, and all of a sudden we come to a place and we need desperately for someone to get through a narrow entryway, you understand, to retrieve a, a, a critical component or a critical substance to help someone, to heal someone, to help the community, and all of a sudden the person, we have, oh, I can do that, the person is double-jointed, you know, the person is so agile, you know, and able to get through. That is the point of the individual. The point of, uh, the point of individuality is is that the person has a special chance that maybe no one else has because Hashem built them that way. That's the point. It's not a point of, well, let me, let me express myself. It's a point of, let me express the uniqueness of what God gave me because God, God did that for a reason. There was a chance for me to offer, uh, for a chance for me to offer something special. Uh, when I was by my Rebbe, my Rebbe really did want people to uh, cry on Tisha B'Av. He felt it's appropriate. Uh, sometimes we used to get upset with him because he would talk a lot about how people can't cry. Well, it's hard to cry when your Rebbe keeps saying that nobody can cry. It's almost like, it's almost pretentious. In any case, though, but he, he, he felt that people should be crying. And one year, we're all sitting on the floor. Tisha B'Av, my Rebbe, was talking, explaining a lot of things. And a woman came through, uh, yeah, I guess someone visiting, visiting the area, and she said to my Rebbe, she said, look, if you want people to cry, she says, I can do it. I have a particular uh, quality, and it's, oh, it's never failed. When I cry, people cry. Nobody can not, everybody cries when I cry. So first of all, it's intriguing to hear it. So my Rebbe, you know, who's, you know he sees everything in a direct from my shabby. He says, okay, he says, let's try it. The lady sat down and she began to cry and everybody was crying. It really happened. It really happened. She really did it. She just said, she says, if I cry, everybody cries. She sat down and started crying. Okay, so Hashem gave her a special, 
talent. That's the point of the individual. It's not a point of, of the individual to shake things up and to mess things up. It's not the point at all. And even when you hear when you hear me telling you, and I admit I say it all the time, all my life I drop bombs every place. But the bombs I drop is then to 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 you know to hopefully to to uh, uh, to allow people to have a new viewpoint are not done against the mores and norms. And I'll explain what I mean. He, he, my rabbi used to say, for example, in the relationship of a rabbi and a student, that in order to make a person grow, you have to go a little beyond where they're comfortable. So he said that he said that you always go a little further than the student gave you permission for, because that's by definition that's the area that's going to make the person grow. So you have, student gives you X amount of permission, you have to take them a little further than they actually gave you permission. Now give permission up to a point. And in order to be a good rabbi, you have to, you have to take them a little further than that. You have to go beyond the place where they gave you permission in order to bring about growth. But I want to point out, you know what he's saying? He says, essentially, you're following the parameters that the student sets up. They, they, when a student gives a certain amount of permission, that's the amount that they can take. You take a drop more because I'm saying a drop more is in the parameters of what they can do. That's just enough to make the person be more flexible, to make the person a little wider, a little broader, a little deeper, a little more tolerant, a little more uh, creative, a little more, all the endless list that a, that a rabbi has to do uh, for his student. As in, so, but it's within, it's with, it, it, but it's according to the norms. So we don't want to come in and just turn everything over and say, okay, throw off your chains. Here, you're not going to help anybody. You're not going to help anybody. Just being shocking, you're not helping anybody. You're just defending people or, 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 or scaring them. You're not doing anything of value. If you under, I'm sure you understand what I'm saying, you know, but rather what? So you, when you do things, you follow the pattern. A, a smart person who makes change, you follow the normal pattern. But then within the normal pattern, you're able to do things, and that works. Why? Because we need everybody. Not I need it, you need it. Everybody needs a context to be religious in. They need the, you, have, you, have to have, you have to have a continuity, etc. These are pragmatic because we're human beings. We're not, we're not able to live in shock every single second. It, it, it wouldn't work. But Kodesh Baruch made a world that we have. Kodesh Baruch was not... Tzanua, Fakosh Baruch were not modest. And each day the world was different. One day the sky was blue. One day the sky would be lemonade, lemonade pink. And one day the trees would go with the roots up in the air and the leaves in the ground. And one day they would go with the leaves in the air and the roots in the ground. And one day the trees would be brown. And one day the trees would be purple. And one, it, it, we, we, would, we would fall apart. Here, just to give you an example, without a, 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 a consistent natural order we would be imbeciles. We would be imbeciles because all of our all of our uh, understanding that we that we gain with our intelligence is on the basis of a continuity of action and reaction. We learn if you do this, that happens eventually. Just every baby that starts that way, and every adult continues to learn that way. Because Baruch Hu lacked modesty and did not it wasn't and was not hiding behind a consistent nature laws of nature. We'd be imbeciles. Because what we what we saw a minute ago that will never happen again, it won't happen again for a million years. And that one day the pencil will fall up, and one day the pencil will fall down, one day the apple will fall sideways, one day the apple will, here. We'd be imbeciles. We we would not be able to gather enough information from the world to uh, uh, to to live. We would never know how to plant anything. We never, we, we 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 wouldn't get anything. We, if our arm here, if our fingers move different ways every single day, we never have any any idea what we were doing. We wouldn't be able to do anything. We, we would be, we would be uh, really completely, when I were dysfunctional, non-functioning idiots. 
So the Hashem's modesty and making continuous nature allows us to gain knowledge and, and add, add, uh, add knowledge to knowledge and knowledge to knowledge and reach very high levels of, of, uh, of a functioning and of creativity and of, uh, of, of a physical and spiritual and emotional and intellectual achievement and psychological achievement because we're able to add one brick to another, which would never happen. So you don't want to walk around just shaking everything up. You don't want to shake people up. I mean, you don't want to shake it up. You disagree. Okay, maybe you'll go to the rabbi. There's a the context. You go, you talk. We don't want to shake up the, the people's faith in the Mara, the Asra, and the rabbi of the place. We want, we want the rabbi of the place to, to, to have his position because that's what allows people in an orderly fashion to continue growing in Torah. Everybody from little babies to, to the older, oldest men and women. We all need it. So one is it's utterly, for a person to, to not follow Minag is disrespectful to others. It's damaging to others. And I humbly submit to you, it's damaging to the person themselves. It's damaging to the person themselves because the person is not going to be sensitive to the, to the surroundings. It's not going to be able to grow from those surroundings. The person is going to cause a shoot-up and an uproar every place they go. They're not going to, they're not going to ever get anything. So what I'm going to tell you was, you know, you, you'll see, you'll see, for example, here, yeah, yeah, yeah go to communities. Where did the guy go to shul? Nowhere. What do you mean? Well, Shabbos night, he's at the shul A. Shabbos morning, he's at shul B. Uh, there, there, sometimes he goes to C or D, so he goes D or 4. And then he goes here. They, you, may, you know these guys, they don't, go, they, don't, they, don't, they don't go anywhere. They don't go anywhere. What's the way you dive in this? Well, well I don't know. Sometimes I do here, they dive in this. They go, here, we guys, no tradition. What is the person able to hand off, to, for, not only to the children, the person has nothing to hand off to their children. The children, are, I don't know if you ever saw it, There's, in every community there are these guys. They don't go to shul anywhere. One day here, one day there. Once they here, one day here. So what are, what are they handing down? What continuous and, and consistent experience of Torah did they get have? None. I know you weren't expecting this. It's crazy. You have in every community. Now forget about the reason why they do that. That's not even. That's not, I don't want to get into that today. But it, it's not good. You know, you have a you have, you have a halacha. A person must have a makom kavua. A person must have a, a, a set place to. A person must have a set place to daven. Good. So, and not only that, even in the set place, you have to have a set place. Even in the in the building in the room where you daven, you make a set place in that room to daven. That's the correct way. It has to do with a lot of things. That's to do with humility and all this. Yeah, because how are you going to have? How is a person going to have a a building uh, a, a a building experience from time to time, brick to brick? If one day it's here, one day it's there, one day it's here, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work for the individual, and, and it hurts the individual. It hurts and it hurts the other people that the person that the person is staring. You know, the person is the person is going to upset other people's continuity. That's not the point. I individualism, yes, like I told you, when you have a unique quality to help, you're saying, but that's a different story. That's not the person busy and obsessed with expressing themselves. It's the other way. It's the person appreciating the fact that God gave them a gift that they might be able to use to, 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 have, some, to have some value to, uh, to others, I said, to themselves even, they say, to the world. And that's a, that, that type of self-expression is very modest. And very respectful. So the first type of minah, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we, you have to have a, you, have, you need to have tremendous respect. Everybody needs it. Kids need it. Adults need it. Everybody. You can't. You can't. Uh, the kid each week sees the sees a certain experience. They build it. And they know. They have a context. They're, they're somebody. They're strong. 
a person saw 50 billion different ways every week. Some, some, every week, someone day yes, one day no, some yes, something. Yeah, they lost. And those people are usually lost. Or you have an alternative. You know, the other people, they want to be everybody. You know, the guy's, the guy's going to wear, he's going to wear a, a, a Hasidic coat with a knit kippah from the National Religious and, uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, whatever, you know, 20 different, 20 different, uh, 20 different symbols. He's everybody. Those guys are, are a mess. And their families become a mess. Because, because, uh, because humanity demands it. I, I try to explain a lot of times. You know, one of the things is that, uh, that uh, remember, I, when I was young, and this is different than other famous books, you know, but uh, when I was young, so I was explaining to someone, why is it that you can't make a bracha in the bathroom? Because bracha makes the bathroom. What's the problem? There's no way God didn't create the bathroom. Uh, why can't you make a bracha there? So it's not nice. It's got a bad smell. It's unclean. Okay, we we get the point. But is it is it, is it not part of God's world? Aren't also the smelly things and the filthy things part of part of God's creation? So how come we don't make we can't say shema in the, in the filthy alleyways, etc.? What's the problem? And the answer is that in theory the kasha is correct. I tell you, my brother says, my brother says, and he says, in theory, theory and practice are the same, but in practice, they're different. <laughs> Here, in theory, it's a good point. In theory, it's all God's world, and therefore we should be able to praise Hashem and say brach anywhere. But the facts are that human beings, that is a theoretical understanding of this world. And you're right, the filthy places and the stinky places are also, are also part of God's world. The only thing is, that human beings are so limited. We're, we're little creatures. You say we occupy a few, uh, you know, a few feet of, you know, whatever it is, a few, of, uh, you know, a little, a few feet of space, and we see very little and know very little. Here yeah, we can't even see beyond the next wall or what's outside around the corner. You have no idea. We, we, are, we, our perception of the world is extremely puny, extremely limited. And when we're in the bathroom, we're busy smelling the bad smell and uh, and uh, and and seeing the the the, the low uh, function of the bathroom vis-a-vis our because we're we're immersed in it. Now, in theory, let's say from a from a different point of view, from a more godly point of view, such if we would see the bathroom in context, imagine if every time you're in the bathroom, at the very same moment you were smelling the snow on the peaks of the Alps and and uh, smelling and seeing the waves hit the shore of the of the beaches in Hawaii and the and the beautiful Antarctic and the whales that yeah if you if the bathroom were always in context of an entire universe, I would suggest that in theory you could make a brach in the bathroom. Why? Because then the bathroom would really be just another part of Hashem's world. Like the uh, you know uh, like a uh, like a, a spice that doesn't that in context of the of the of the uh, katoris, it's fine. Maybe it's not done smoke, but it's perfect. It's perfect in the mixture. But since we're human, since we're human, we are not seeing the bathroom in the context of the whole universe. We're seeing the bathroom, and therefore, it's not correct for a human uh, to make a if Hashem made bracha, so the Hashem could make a bracha in the bathroom according to this theory. You see, because because the bathroom would be only would bathroom would be. Uh, uh, the bathroom in the Alps and all those things would be the same in, this, in the same moment, not the same, but they'd all be in the context together. 
uh, and therefore, and when a human being is going to push you, we say, "What's well, from God's point of view? The bathroom is part of everything. So let me make a bracha." So it's just arrogance. That's a lack of you and lack of humility, and it's a presence of a great gaiva and pretentiousness, because we're not God. You can't do that. And therefore, when a person, when that's why I believe a person has to have a makum kavua, because here you have to you have to recognize who you are. You're a human. You're not God. You can't be fifty places and it's all fine. You're not going to go back to the same place. You're not going to have the respect. You're not going to have the growth. You're not going to have the humility. It's not going to happen. We're human. We're limited little creatures, and if we don't, if we don't admit to it and deal with it, and say we've been arguing, we're 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 desperate. We desperately need the continuity and the understanding. You're going to shake everything up for yourself and all this is just going to be destructive. It's a bad thing. It's not respect for people. It's not respect for God. It's not respect for ourselves. It's not respect for the Torah. And in this context, I just want to bring this home a little bit because this class where we talk a great deal about here, we're talking about relationships of husbands and wives, etc. You have to realize that when you deal with another person, it has to be a good 90, I don't know what the number is, 98% has to be according to the parameters of the other. Of the other. You can make a point to anybody, but if you don't take into account their particular worldview, you're not going to get any place. You're not going to get anywhere because you're not talking their language. You know, in the in um, in Vayigash, uh, it's Vayigash Elav Yehuda. So one of the explanations, I'm pretty sure it's the Arachayim. So he, he, you know, of course the pasuk, you know, the heart of the, uh, you know, the just like the water reflects the reflection, the heart of man is the heart of man. The answer is people know even without you saying, they know how you feel about them. They get it. That you argue, you put on a, you can put on a fake face, but they know, they know their heart. Your heart communicates to their heart. They know you can't stand them. So the the Arachim says that Yehuda, every here they were they were desperate, got to save their lives. So and he really, he utterly despises this idol worshiper, this low pagan guy who he thinks is the viceroy of Egypt. And he realizes if he doesn't find some empathy, he's not going to be able to bring his plea home and affect him. So Rechaim Vayigash, he brought himself close to, to this, you know, we know it's Yosef, he brought himself close to this pagan viceroy in his heart so that the words that he said would enter the heart of the person he's speaking to. If he didn't change the way he's really feeling, he's not going to get across. I'm pretty sure it's the Rechaim who says it. And the thing is here, when you want to you you be able to function with a, a, a husband or a wife or a friend or whatever it is, chabuza, co-worker, if you're not going to speak at least 98% their language, you're not going to speak your language to them, believe me. It's not going to happen because we're, because we're humans. Humans are limited, that's right. You, me too, me, and me too, and me too. Everybody. And we all want to think of ourselves as, as you know, we're wildly creative and flexible, etc. Who says we're so flexible? Everybody has their language and the things that they're used to. And, and if the other is not going to relate to that, you're not going to communicate with anybody. You'll never come close. So a lot of times you're, we're busy reiterating and saying 10 times and every time louder what we think and what's so clear to us. That's right, but you're not them. What could it what, what could it be? We want to say it again, repeat yourself again, yell, yell 10 times louder. You think that's going to make shalom or get across to the other person? You have to have to utter respect for the other and recognize that each person has their language, for better or worse. That's how, that's how they see the world. You spend a long time studying how, how, how the other sees the world. And then you may be able to, having spoken their language, you may be able to bring, oh, you know, but maybe there's one little point. Maybe what about this? What do you think about that? 
because you're speaking the language of the person. And I think all this is really a lot of what, 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 what Minag has to do. Minag is a recognition that, there's a, that every person has a language, every person needs a language, because we're humans, we're puny. We're puny. We need repetition, we need continuity. Every, everybody does. And these professional rabble-rousers, they got plenty of continuity. There's, they're fakers and liars. They only, for everybody else, it's an uproar. But they're not doing uproar for themselves, believe me. They have a consistent, protective system for themselves. I just want to say the same way that we have a respect for ourselves, for others, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for the Torah, for the Psakalach before us. And I think also, but I think also in, in human relations, that's the way it's supposed to be. You want to talk to somebody, you want to be at peace with someone, you want to work together with someone, here, learn the Minag. Study. Before you do anything, come in and study the Minag. See what's this person's viewpoint, what's the, person, what's the way the person sees the world. And once you're truly sensitive to that, okay, you may be able to add, you know, point one, point two, a little, a little, a little further than they, than, than they know how to give permission for. They, they can open it and say, oh, that's interesting. I could see that, yeah. Because you didn't violate, you didn't violate uh, their worldview. Uh, and I think that's a formula. You say, this is not only a formula for success in Yiddishkeit, I think it's a formula for success in human relations. Because, because if instead of being obsessed with ourselves and saying what we want to say and communicating what we want to communicate and, and accomplish what we want to accomplish, realize there's a person over there. And that person has a, a person has a norm uh, and a structure. Let's let me study it and see what it is and give them the utmost respect. And then from the, I'm able to say from what I understood from their point of view and, uh, and get across. You know what else? Maybe I'll get their point of view. <laughs> Obviously, it also makes shalom. But I'm just saying, assuming that you had a point that was valid. But that's the way to do it. That's a little piece I think of. I know this is a different kind of share, but that's uh, that's what I'm up to this week. I want to thank everybody for listening, and I hope I'll see everybody next week. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Colton. Colton.